Welcome to The Catch-Up, a Westwood Westwood podcast. And now your host, Teddy Tutson. What's going down, everybody? Welcome to another edition of The Catch-Up, a Westwood Westwood podcast. I am your host, Teddy Tutson, here to get you up to speed on the major happenings going down in the news this past week. This episode, we are going to spend some time covering what happened in Charlottesville, what seems like a domestic terrorism incident, why were white nationalists and Nazis and Confederate sympathizers gathered there in the first place, the reactions and lack thereof, in some cases, of politicians and various leaders in response to what happened in Charlottesville, plus a conversation with comedian Eddie Pence, hilarious dude who you may have just seen recently killing it on the syndicated show Punchline. He will be joining us to talk about some of the challenges of being a parent and raising children with an administration seemingly causing chaos in the world at will. A reminder, as always, you can check out more quality content from Westwood Westwood. You can do that online at westwoodwestwood.com, on Facebook at Westwood Westwood Online, or on Twitter at Reed Westwood. Plus, be sure to rate, subscribe, and review the catch-up on iTunes. Show us some love in the comments section. Leave us some feedback. Let us know how much you're enjoying the show out there. Well, let's get right into it. The main topic for discussion in this episode, the tragedy that unfolded in Charlottesville. White nationalists, white supremacists, Nazis, and their sympathizers gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia to supposedly unite the right and protest the removal of a statute of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, which the city council of Charlottesville voted to remove earlier in May. As the demonstration was being dispersed after clashes between protesters and counter-protesters, a car plowed into the crowd and killed a 32-year-old woman. According to the New York Times, some 35 were injured, at least 19 in the car crash. That, according to a spokeswoman for the University of Virginia Medical Center. Since the city council voted to remove and sell the statute in May, this is actually the third time that white nationalist groups have gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia, to protest the removal of the statute. If you want to get an idea of who exactly was represented at this rally of white supremacists defending the General Lee statute, convicted felon, Holocaust denier, and former imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, David Duke, was there. Just take a listen to what he had to say about the people that he was out walking with, his brothers in arms, if you will. What does today represent to you? This represents a turning point for the people of this country. We are determined to take our country back. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. That's what we believed in. That's why we voted for Donald Trump, because he said he's going to take our country back. And that's what we got to do. Fulfills the promises of Donald Trump. This is why we voted for Donald Trump. Remember Donald Trump and that weak-ass disavowal of David Duke that he tried to bust out during the campaign? Will you unequivocally condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists in this election? Well, just so you understand, I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Because, you know, I know nothing about David Duke. I know nothing about white supremacists. 
And so you're asking me a question that I'm supposed to be talking about people that I know nothing about. Well, the white supremacists totally heard the message loud and clear because they've never felt more emboldened. People walking around with Nazi flags saying, hail Trump. If these guys don't represent the alt-right, then I don't know who else does. But they clearly feel like they are integral to Donald Trump's support and a key reason as to why he was elected. And he needs them just as much as they need him. So with a fatality already confirmed and with numerous injuries already documented, pictures of Confederate flags alongside Nazi flags, what would Donald Trump say as the entire nation watched? And this is what the president offered up. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. It's been going on for a long time in our country. Not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. This has been going on for a long, long time. There's no place in America. What is vital now is a swift restoration of law and order and the protection of innocent lives. No citizen should ever fear for their safety and security in our society. And no child should ever be afraid to go outside and play or be with their parents and have a good time. I just got off the phone with the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe. And we agreed that the hate and the division must stop, and must stop right now. We have to come together as Americans with love for our nation and true affection, uh, really, and I, I say this so strongly, true affection for each other. On many sides, no clear denunciation of racism no mention of white nationalism, no mention of the alt-right, no mention of Nazis, no mention of anyone by name, no rejection of David Duke, no denunciation of Richard Spencer, no condemnation, no vitriol for anybody specific in the same way that he does whenever an attacker happens to be Muslim or brown skin or a part of law enforcement. Because after this press conference, we learned that the violence that broke out at the white nationalist rally in Charlottesville was also linked to the crash of a Virginia state police helicopter resulting in the death of two people on board. Once again, it seems like the White House and specifically Donald Trump have a problem condemning violence from white nationalists and white supremacists. And in this instance, they found themselves standing alone as other Republicans came out very forcefully against the violence in Charlottesville. Jeb Bush tweeted, the white supremacists and their bigotry do not represent our great country. All Americans should condemn this vile hatred, hashtag Charlottesville. Even Marco Rubio, a scientifically proven humanoid, came out with a very aggressive statement saying, nothing patriotic about Nazis, the KKK, or white supremacists. It's the direct opposite of what America seeks to be, hashtag Charlottesville. But this isn't just a rhetorical problem for the Trump administration. This past June, they eliminated federal anti-extremism funding for a group that tracked white extremists and white supremacists. 
and the fight over the removal of statues of Confederate leaders isn't going away anytime soon. A USA Today analysis this past May found that more than 700 Confederate monuments in 31 states still exist. That is a shitload of monuments and a shitload of opportunities for more crisis points for a White House that is struggling to maintain its base of white voters against a Republican Party that still wants to get shit passed in Congress. Well, you might have seen my guest on the catch-up this week killing it on the new syndicated comedy show Punchline, doing the damn thing as part of their comedian panel. Very excited that I got the chance to sit down and talk with him. Here is my conversation with comedian Eddie Pence. My guest on the catch-up this week, a very funny man. You've seen him on Comedy Central, The Late Late Show, most recently on the uh, new hit syndicated joint, Punchline. Uh, please, a big welcome for my man, Eddie Pence. Eddie, how you doing? Good. Hey, how's it going? It's going well, man. Uh, thank you for joining me here. I know you had to uh, deal with some kid situations. So yeah, it's always, it's always a situation. Even when it's not a situation, it's a situation. Uh, so what's what's been going on for you, man? Have you been you've been getting out there a lot recently? Been performing? Uh, you know, I'm just in town mostly because I got the kids, so it's kind of hard to really do too much out of town. So I try to get up when I can, and you know, summer's almost over, so I'll get my days back. They'll <laughs> <laughs> go back to school, and then I'll have my freedom back. Uh, how much of your freedom is going to be consumed by watching the news or paying attention on Twitter? How do you follow along with what's going on these oh, days? Oh, I wake I wake up every morning and I go to my Twitter feed and I, I follow like some of those. You know, there's a, there's a couple like people on Twitter where you're kind of following because. They, they've kind of been breaking stories like two or three months in advance, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you follow like Claude Taylor or those people. I'm, but, I, I know who you're talking about. I'm aware of some of those people. Yes. But like, like I'll go and check their feeds because I mean the stuff that was popping up, they were dropping stuff in like eight, April and May. And then like, it's just starting to come around now. So at the, at the time it, it would give you hope. And then in June, nothing was happening. You're like, ugh, and then all the stuff they said was true was true in july and like oh they are they do know what they're talking about so it's kind of uh do you have the same thing that i do where because you're on the west coast and you're three hours behind you like wake up especially on the weekends with that sense of dread of like oh what earth-shattering news have i missed oh yeah because i have that stupid alert on my (laughs) phone or cnn has like the headlines on my phone as soon as i wake up and i'm like uh i wake up at like you know, I wake up at like seven, which is ten o'clock East Coast time. I'm like, what? Well, we're still alive. I woke up, so we're not in nuclear yeah, well, holocaust. Yeah, right but now. it's like you you wake up at seven thirty Pacific time, and you've already missed two news cycles for the day. It seems oh, like at least uh, at least. <laughs> what is like? Uh, what's, what's your experience on that whole like internet culture of just trolling and and all that stuff? I don't really have a lot of experience with the like internet trolling and all that stuff i mean it's i have like i, have, I guess i have a, i have a small social media presence i don't really i'm so, more of a bystander in the whole like I, i'm just sort of like an isn't bystander just why i'm an observer are you you're like you're a lurker and all that stuff yeah were you like, ever on forums or anything like that back in the day or not really in any of that no time? i never engaged in like in like forums or chat rooms like none of that i never really got into yeah, like Any I was, I was kind of the same stuff where like I kind of lurked on them because I thought they were very fascinating. Yeah, uh, I'll do like yeah, I'll peek, like I'll like, sort of. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, I'm I'm kind of like aware of of some of the more infamous ones, and every now and then I will go in there and sort of you know like oh, okay, let's see what you hooligans are up to. But yeah, uh, like every once in a while I'll 
peek into like one of those crazy ones or I'll even like duck my head into like a flat earther thing just to, <laughs> just, just to see the level of crazy that is really truly out there just to kind of measure yourself against them yeah. to see how tethered but then you I are. have to pull back and go okay that's a, that's a bubble how much of that permeates actual reality how, how do you do anything with uh with reddit at all or is that is that not your jam no, I don't really. I'm. I'm. I just sort of like. I'll like look around Reddit, but I don't really engage in Reddit. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way too. Which is why I feel like that whole Google memo thing is kind of fascinating because Silicon Valley is such an insular culture. Yeah, like, I'm curious how how other people who are not a part of it feel about it. Because I feel like when I first learned, I was just like, well, first things first, you can't just go around passing out memos at work, shitting on your. Yeah. Your... <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, I don't even understand the mentality. Like, forget what you wrote, my man. Forget what you wrote. You can't do that in a workplace, I believe. Yeah. Like, I don't. It's just at some point doesn't like any kind of common sense come into your head. Like, and yeah. why would you commit it to paper? Yeah. Like, no one needs a manifesto. Uh, it's just. Did you not see Jerry Maguire? He immediately regretted passing it out to the entire company. Yeah, you don't like, and that's kind of where it started, like the mid '90s when people started like typing emails and everything was. Doc I mean, before then it was like one handwritten letter you throw in the trash and it was gone. Yeah, I honestly I feel like the other thing too. I just started watching that series on the Unabomber on Discovery, yeah. and yeah. it's interesting going back because I was con I kind of remember it, but I wasn't old enough to truly, I guess, appreciate just how much he had a reign of terror and that manifesto it's so kind of reminiscent of the same stuff where i'm also like i'm like who who the fuck is out here writing manifestos <laughs> who has who has the time <laughs> in modern life to do a 10 page you know mini treaties i just had a discussion about manifestos with someone like last week and just like if you were to do a manifesto would you do it in a composition book like how would you <laughs> Would you have a, would it be spiral loose leaf paper? So if you messed up, you could take it out and put it in. I mean, yeah, I feel you, like, you don't type a manifesto. They're always handwritten. I, I mean, I, I guess that's it, right? Like, are there there tears to manifesto? Like within the manifesto circle, do you look down upon someone who's well? I just put mine together in Word and I uh, I switched it around. You're like, oh, this was handwritten <laughs> in blood. But he copy and pasted most. Yeah, what is what is this? And there's it was there. There have been have there been positive manifestos or are they always negative? Is ever is like a manifesto ever a positive? I feel like the ratio of outlandishly terrible borderline. Or crazy people yeah. hijacked manifestos. I feel like they have. I don't think there's ever been a I, 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 there may have been a few positive <laughs> manifestos, but they've tarnished now by association. You know what I mean? Like wouldn't the wouldn't the Declaration of Independence be sort of a manifesto or like the Bill of Rights? I mean, that's sort of like the I guess, original I guess those are kind of manifestos. Uh the Constitution is sort of a manifesto, right? Yeah, but... It's a real like upper class manifesto. <laughs> like I guess that's it, right? Like manifesto is what those people use. The but... way things should be, the way you want them to be. <laughs> yeah, but when you're really high guard and you know, high society, you you call it a declaration of independence. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the positive spin is declaration. The negative is manifesto. Yeah, manifesto uh, a manifesto of independence. That, hey my, <laughs> hey man, listen here, King. <laughs> Yeah, the U.S. manifesto would not sound as good. I don't think the rest of the world would use that as a template for building governments. <laughs> We're like, uh, we are a big fan of your manifesto. <laughs> I was, I was. We're talking a little bit before the show, but uh, how old is your uh, your son again? 
He's he just turned eight in May. So how aware is he of how insane things are? Right. It now? was crazy. Like I didn't know during the election last year, November. Like the the build up to it, like it permeated everything. Like yeah. every level of life got was drawn into this crazy election, and I didn't know. I tried to shelter him from it some, but I didn't think in school it would pop up as much as it did. And my last name is Pence, so like it drew a lot of like <laughs> I would be getting questions all the time. Like are you related to him? Association, like, yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, no, I mean people I'm like not I'm not at all related. The last name is the only thing we have in common. Is there any way that you said it without sounding like defensive at all? You're like, it's no, I mean weird come because... on. Like it's not it's not I don't know this guy. <laughs> It's weird because when people ask me, it's like, I don't like, do you, are you like, it, it, but the first thing in my head is like, do you want me to say I like him or yeah. not? Like, what do you want out of that? What answer is going to get me out of this without fisticuffs? Yeah. Without me hating you. What do you want me to <laughs> But Anyway, but my, my kid would come home and he would start like talking about like, why is Donald Trump so mean? Like it was permeating like elementary school kids. Like they were talking about I, it in school. Yeah. I feel like I've read a lot about the effect on schools. I feel like we're going to be watching a shitload of documentaries in 15 years on yeah. whatever has surpassed Netflix about this generation of kids that grew up with because it seems like there's all these reports from teachers you know talking about the uh, bullies feeling emboldened and yeah. it's hard to explain consequences to kids when they can go well the, the leader of the free world doesn't seem to is a huge freaking bully you know or doesn't nothing seems to happen to him he you know he may I, I could be president I mean that that yeah. becomes the retort to to anything that you try to lay down as an accountability marker has he seen that with like people well, being there's just, no big bully problem at his school Thank goodness there's no big bully problem. But what was happening was, I guess in LAUSD, especially his elementary school, he's, they have this thing where they do this thing. It's called council every Wednesday where every classroom in their class, they sit around a circle, which is a good thing. And the teacher sort of like has everyone discuss anything that's bothering them that week. I guess it's almost like a way to vent frustrations so kids don't, you know, click up in school and like have resentment towards other kids. Like they can just clear the air once a week with everybody. And during that time, he was coming home saying a lot of kids were really worried about Donald Trump. And I hear it on the news. I'm like, I don't know how much, how real that is. But then I was getting it firsthand from him that there were like these kids of like Spanish, you know, Mexican descent that were very worried in school about a wall, about being deported, about his their grandparents having to be taken away and stuff like that. And that was a very real thing for him. And he hated, like, he started, like, coming home, like, I don't like Donald Trump. And, it was, like, so my eight, was it so personal for him, right? Like, it was personal for him. He saw, like, the, the fear and the crying in the kids. And then there was another thing coming back where he would come back after Trump won. He would come home and say, like, people kept saying that Hillary was going to start World War III and that's why she lost. And, like, that's coming from other kids who are getting that from their parents. Exactly. Yeah. Because those kids aren't forming those opinions. Well, some of those kids are probably on Wikipedia. They're probably changing. Them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, I'm, that's probably true. No, but I, I mean, when you have those kind of conversations with your son, do you do you come across other parents either sort of spitting, you know, ideological things towards kids, or or sort of having similar conversations with you about conversations they've had with kids? There was a, I mean, there was a group of parents at his school where it's like they're very like minded. I'm very like minded with a lot of them like we would like kind of like go to school so like we were dropping them off the day after the election and we're all kind of just like looking at each other like uh what's gonna happen now like we <laughs> you know, uh, you know yeah. we had that it was sort of like that that group mind of like post-apocalyptic uh, okay, well, well, survivors kind of how thing. do we explain this to our children sort of thing yeah 
Um, we don't know what's going on. I mean, yeah, I mean, I haven't met any parents on the other side of it at his school, so I don't really or have like any... antagonizing kind of thing. Yeah, or, you know, or you know, pro Trump or whatever. Right. I mean, or at least they're they're quiet about. It. I mean, that's one thing usually about being in Los Angeles. It's not as people aren't as proud of it as say other places in the country. It's very strange. Like I have family members that are huge pro Trump and I'm just like, okay. And where are you? You're from again. You're from back East, right? I'm originally from Virginia. Yeah. So, and you, you obviously, what is your connection to Charlottesville and, 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 and the university down there? I went to Virginia tech, which is the rival UVA. And yeah. I, I grew up in Northern Virginia, like right outside Manassas, which is like one of the huge civil war battlefields. So there's tons. I grew up around tons of Confederate statues. And apparently, I guess this thing in, U- in Charlottesville was they were taking down a Robert E. Lee statue, and then that's what start- sparked the the nationalist or white supremacist party to come and do their tiki torch parade. <laughs> yeah, know, so. yeah, it, it was it, it was a, a, originally a rallying around you know the statues being taken down around the country. But I think in Virginia is such a fascinating place because from from the people I've talked to who are there, it's it's like there's two different states within one state is that yeah is that accurate yeah there's i I was in northern virginia which is just basically a suburb of dc and then you just go 30 miles south of this little tip corner the the upper north corner of virginia is very suburb of dc it's very it's not it's a little more liberal i mean there are professional kind of it's very professional um there's no southern drawl there's no twang in the speak but then you go like 30 minutes south and you're you get into like the southern drawl and like you like it really changes and it's very close and it's it's very strange i mean you you go down a little farther and i mean they have a there's a monument to jefferson davis in virginia that is looks like the washington monument but it's a little smaller i mean that's so wild and And it's still there how much how much of that sort of confederate apologia lost causeism did you experience growing up or do you feel like it's more open now as a kid it was different it wasn't i grew up when i was a kid i grew up like right outside the battlefields and i would go there every week i was a huge civil war buff like and it before i knew any better when i was like younger than my son i thought the confederates were cool just because i liked the uniforms how dare you I know, I, but I didn't. I didn't know. It was like six, seven years old, and I grew up. In Six-year-old me is condemning six-year-old Eddie Pence yeah, right now. <laughs> terrible, uh, but he didn't. He, that, that little Eddie didn't know. And but like, it makes sense though, if you, considering what you're growing up around, that there's no distinction. And there was no really one. Yet. There was no. I mean, I didn't. I grew up in a mostly white area, suburb of DC. Very, you know, it was kind of farmland that had just recently been developed. My school, my elementary school, I went to had two kids that were not white yeah. i mean that's how white wow. of an area i grew up in. man i mean they both moved to the school like when i was in second grade and before then i had never been around you know black kids or anything like that and then but there was no racism like all the kids just at that age you just i mean to me we, we well just, it's like it's not as it's not it as surface level because it doesn't need it's like dormant because it doesn't need to be activated yet because they're not yeah, around and then as i got older i started seeing more of it especially with i don't know if my you know, with extended family members and stuff like that. And then I started learning what the Civil War was. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, then I, I've picked the wrong side. <laughs> that's um, that's kind of I got to stop. I got to stop making fashion choices <laughs> that determine uh, my political stance. Reevaluate which military uniforms are cool. Um, but I but I grew up like learning a lot about the Civil War. And I'm wondering, how how, do, how were you taught the Civil War in school? Because I, when I come across someone like yourself who, 
you know, is sort of a, a Civil War buff and really is, you know, enthusiastic about the history. It, I'm wondering what the difference is between the official story and then how you came across it in your own knowledge well, and the, discovery. When you're a kid, you learn, like you first learned about, it was like slavery and anti-slavery. That was the Civil War. Like the North wanted to free the slaves, the South didn't. And then you grow up and you start to learn, okay, it was a little more, I mean, there was definitely humongous undercurrents of racism and overcurrent everything it was a lot of racism about the civil war but at the same time there was also economic i mean the south was basically a plantation based economy it was, it was a slave economy yeah it was, it was, it was a was, slave economy it's one of the few actual slave economies that we've ever had you know like civilization wise yeah. where like yes like every economic issue in the south was so intertwined with slavery that it's yeah. inseparable i mean it was i was a states rights issue it was a economic issue it was a racism above all everything because you're not you're not you shouldn't own other human beings it's kind of all roads lead back to damascus you know like no matter what no matter what path you well it's actually about this eventually racism's like "Eh, don't forget about me Uh, yeah exactly it all goes back to that but at the same time there was a lot of other things involved and you learn about that as you get a little bit older you're like okay it was definitely racism but at the same time it was there was if you try to put yourself in those people's shoes you could see okay okay this is our entire way of life is being uprooted and they didn't look at you know slaves as human beings anyway so what why would they want to change so you you start learning the nuances of what actually took place and then you're like okay you're not you don't i'm trying to figure out how to say this but it's just not as black and white as you thought it was when you were a kid but then at the same time it is exactly as black and white as you thought it was when it's it's very leveled and at the same time not. Oh, yeah, it's very I, confusing. I think, I think the thing from, you know, one of the things for me that's interesting, uh, being from Texas and, you know, we get obviously a very different version of the Civil War and sort of Texas history than kind of what but is actually. Um, you know, I, I honestly, we, we got, it's, I think we kind of were maybe the last generation before the textbooks became super right wing. Uh, yeah. Where you would get this sort of thing that, you know, uh, it was obviously about over slavery and stuff. Uh, but it was more infringement on states' rights. Yeah, and- yeah. You know, and I actually was uh, my, my social studies teacher in sixth grade uh, was pretty dope. Uh, he became our debate coach and was kind of like a debate mentor for me. Uh, shout out to Mr. Henley. What's up, man? But <laughs> he, he, he showed us glory. In sixth oh, grade, wow. and that changed my life, man. Changed the, <laughs> changed the yeah. young uh, sixth grade Teddy Tutts' life. So, just on the subject of like Confederate statues and all that stuff, you know, with so much fighting and resistance about them coming down, how do you, how do you feel about those monuments overall? The fact that they even exist, kind of in the first place. I mean, it's weird to me that they exist because if you look at the Confederacy, they were trying to secede from the Union. Right? They're they're fucking traitors. That's an illegal act. I mean, that's (laughs) not – that's something that shouldn't be celebrated. And to fly that flag, which – they fly the Confederate flag, but, like, that was the battle flag of – Virginia. It's not even the true Confederate flag anyway. So, look, it's they've adopted the symbol. It's not even the real symbol of what they're trying to use. And then at the same time, what they're trying to do is, like, celebrate an act of secession, which is insane to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that was kind of shocking to me is I just didn't realize how prevalent they were, you know? I mean, yeah. now you it's kind of, you see a map and you go, holy shit, how did all of these losers get statues? <laughs> and yeah. how, for, for a country that's so rah-rah America, stars and stripes, how did but a bunch not. of people... Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very, it's very weird. It's such a weird dichotomy. Like these, 
they're, they're, they're like all about America, but at the same time, it's like everything, it's a bunch of traitors that they've made statues about. How do you, how do you feel just kind of as a white person, Eddie, right now about, it seems like white America is very volatile. Uh, obviously, all of America is volatile, but I think the election of Trump seems to have opened a lot of people's eyes to things that were kind of always existing in this country, but were never acknowledged. Have you yeah, felt it, Have you felt a shift amongst some of your peers and family members in terms of how they engage with politics overall? I've felt some people get a little more defensive. Some white people get a little more defensive. <laughs> um, with me, I, I try to take the approach of like, okay, I see where you're coming from. I I try to be I try to be a better person. I try to raise my son to be better than I was. I try to like I think if we can do this, we can at some point in our evolution, maybe at some point we can all be just like light tan, you know, just like <laughs> we can all just meld together and be the same race and just end this madness. But um, I try to like and I, I understand getting a little defensive because like I didn't do anything. I'm open. But at the same time, I can see why people of color look at a white person and go, fuck you. Like, you know, like it's it's very it's a weird place to be in because i think with the election of trump we're forced to really look at ourselves and go like what have we done to let it get to this point because we have i mean it's so hard to put into words because it does make you look back and i feel like i'm in sort of a bubble being in los angeles where I, you're, you're kind of in a more of a progressive bubble where you're not as confronted with it as much right but uh when you go home you do sort of feel there's a little bit of like anger under like a ang like a very like a little undercurrent of anger uh, on some white on in some of the white is it is population. it that, is it that resentment would you say it's, kind of that culture of resentment or white resentment is sometimes yeah, like classified as like, like something's being taken away but there's nothing being taken away but they feel as if there is Do you, that yeah is that, yeah no it totally makes sense and and have I mean are these the kind of conversations that you've had with some of your relatives or friends when you go back home about if they can articulate what they feel is being taken away like I I try to like I have a very close relative that uh we get into it quite a bit and we've had some facebook discussions where i've had to delete the post because it gets crazy good old american but, tradition yeah um <laughs> but i they can't seem to articulate what it means what is actually being taken away it just feels like they feel like they've been attacked for some reason and their immediate response is to attack back and just to be angry and uh defensive about something even though i don't i don't know if there's enough introspection there where they look back at themselves and go why am i feeling this way how how does building a wall on Mexico and kicking out a bunch of migrant workers. How is that truly affecting my life? Right. You know, like, or, you know, or taking a, taking a transgender out of the military. How is that affecting me? But for some reason they feel angry about like that, that's like they've been, there's been something put upon, they've been forced to have to deal with migrant workers and transgenders in the military or, you know, whatever other thing has happened. They feel like they've been forced. To, and now that that's, you know, they have this guy in the white house that can, is promising to take all that away they feel like okay now that you know you can't be mad at me this is the way it should have been and i'm i'm things are just getting back to the way they should have been which is just it's a very weird it's a very weird it's a very weird emotion that it's i don't know it's very strange it's like i i it's I can't even really articulate it yet, and I've been thinking about it for like a last year and a half. <laughs> you know, ever since this craziness started, I it's hard to articulate, but you feel it. You feel a sense of like 
they've lost something and now they finally have what they feel like things are back on the right like they, track. like order has been restored in some way yeah like okay we're a kingdom's back and now we can move forward you guys have no right to be upset about this is the way things should have been anyway when you uh sort of envision politics when your your son is a voting age uh what, 10 years from now a decade from now yeah what, what do you what kind of america do you think is going to be waiting for him I don't know. I think I think America has to go through what it's going through right now, which is unfortunate. But this stuff was all this stuff was always there, apparently. And I think we're we're all being forced to deal with it now. So hopefully we all come out better on the other side. I don't I don't know at this point because we're in it. And I know for a lot of you know white people, we've never had to deal with this much emotional like racist tension racial tension before i think you know you probably have much more experience with racism than i than, than <laughs> i do i've got a little bit you know of what i'm a... saying but like you guys you have you have dealt with this yeah. you've seen this america before you've you've lived in this america i think for a lot of white people we got a we got a sneak peek a long time ago uh. yeah that's what i'm saying you guys you guys kind of know what's going on like for a lot of white people we didn't know it was as bad i mean we had little you know there was always places like okay look that that place is probably kind of there's probably some racism there, but like we didn't know it was I, so prevalent. I think the difference now is that it seems like more white people are realizing that it's this bad all the time. Yeah, and it's and, I, and it seems almost hopeless that it's gonna get better. And that's yeah. where you're like, yep, we got some room on this couch. Uh, come on, <laughs> come yeah. On so I get... think I think that's I think a lot of white America is going through that that you know that finally looking at it. You know, without the rose-colored glass so much anymore. Like, like we're actually seeing what okay, what well, this is what you guys deal with all the time, and like we don't feel you know we're not experiencing what you experience, but we're seeing that oh my god, this is everywhere. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for joining me so, on the show this week, man. I really appreciate it. Great stuff as always. Me. Where can people find you online? You got any shows coming up? Go um, ahead and uh, promote yourself. Uh, Shameless as possible. Yeah, you go to eddiepence.com. I don't ever update my schedule, so <laughs> that won't help you at all. See you um, when you see you. See you when you see you. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Eddie Pence. Like, you know, something like uh, Yeah, I, I post about shows when they come up. I don't really have anything lined up this coming week. So. All right, man. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. And, thanks, Teddy. Uh, yeah, good talking you. to you, buddy. You as well, too, man. Hope to see you around the scene soon. Yeah, definitely. That's going to do it for this episode of The Catch-Up. Thanks again to Eddie Pence for joining us as our guest on this edition. As always, remember to download, review, rate, subscribe to The Catch-Up on iTunes. Show us some love. Leave us some stars. And remember, you can check out more quality content from Westwood Westwood online at westwoodwestwood.com, on Facebook at westwoodwestwoodonline, and on Twitter at Reed Westwood. I'm your host, Teddy Tutson. I'm on Twitter at Teddy Tutson. Holler at me if there's anything you want to see us cover on the show. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Catch-Up with Teddy Tutson, a Westwood Westwood podcast. 